You remain standing and take out your Bible, please, for the reading of God's Word. And turn to the book of Galatians, the fifth chapter. It's on page 948 in your pew Bible, 948. Galatians 5, verses 22 through 26. We are beginning a series that I think uh, might be one of the more important times together in God's Word. There's a mission we ever have, spiritual gifts. Paul is writing to a church and his first one of his early churches in Galatia, and he tells them, this is what happens when you're connected to Christ. These ingredients come about in your life, rather than being competitive. Together as God's people, let's read 22 through 26 aloud. And as you read, listen carefully, you're reading God's Word. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. The sins are reading of God's holy word to Him be the glory and the honor. This new year, aren't there a lot of mixed emotions? Uh, when I can, I can confess to you, you know, it's a brand new chapter fresh. The ink of life hasn't written on it. And yet, making all these resolutions, because you always have the continuing presence of the past. Just because the calendar flip doesn't mean you did it all. When I was an early Christian, and I hung around my carnal Christian friends, we had a deal that when we entered a new year, the first one to sin had to call in. I don't even know if being in that competition is a sin in itself, but one year I went about six years, or six hours, I mean, uh, because I was, uh, yeah, I was mostly sleeping. But I don't know what's more confusing, life or what we want out of it. Because a lot of times, let's be honest, we really don't know what we want. A lot of weddings have been going on over the holidays, and I'm sure you've attended some of them as we have. I was told of this rich Hollywood mogul who got married and invited the pastor. They had the reception over here at his place. He has this huge pool. It's like an Olympic pool, and everybody's gathered around. And he put a couple of sharks in it just for fun. And as everybody's gathering around, he said, I want to tell you, anybody... It's got the courage to dive in this pool and swim across. I'll either give one, a cameo role in my next movie. Two, let you direct one of the scenes. Or three, I'll give you a cut of the gate. He wasn't done speaking. There was a splash in the water. And there was this water kicking and feet and swaling. And on the other side, the pastor pulled himself up out of the pool. And the uh, new groom, he said, well, pastor, I know you. You probably want to be in a cameo role. You like to be in front of people. And the pastor said, no, I don't want that. He said, I know you. You want to direct. You like to organize things. He said, no, I don't want that. He said, you sly dog. You want a cut of the gate, don't you? And he said, no, I don't want that. He said, well, what do you want? The pastor said, I want to know who pushed me in the pool. That's what I want. <laughs> well, here we are, pushed into the pool... I know it's a long way to get to the point of 2004, whether you like it or not, whether you have this next year 
the desires of your heart fulfilled or not, I think depends on what we're going to be studying this next month, spiritual gifts. Now, if any of you have been around church land long enough, usually when you go to a class on spiritual gifts, they give you a little list. And these can be helpful of what the gifts are. And they're listed about 20 of them. And you check off, that's kind of like me, that's not like me. And then they say, this is your gift. And though that's helpful, I want to talk about something much more wonderful and a lot more naked than that. Who you really are. When you go to one of these parties and people ask who you are, I uh, rarely tell them right out front I'm a pastor. I might as well say, hi, I'm a cop with AIDS. You know, uh, <laughs> But when they, they ask, who are you, do you tell them what you do? Or you tell them where you're from? Or a little resume? But the word intimus, it's Latin for inner room. The most intimate part of who you are is in this DNA spiritually of your gift mix. The Holy Spirit, God Almighty Himself, has wired you in a particular way, more unique than your DNA throughout all of the population of all time. And that is so intimate, we're afraid to really admit it. The secrets of your life are not your fantasies or the dreams you have or the things you keep tucked away in the closet. In fact, when I, I do premarital counseling, if you really want to know intimacy, and people will, I mean, they're honest and they'll share things with They'll share everything with me. I mean, they'll tell me everything about their sexual lives that makes me blush. And that's hard to do. But when I bring up, where are you at with Christ? There's this awkward silence that falls on it. Everybody tries to duck the conversation and move along. Because that's really who you are. Well, in the coming weeks, we're going to be taking a look at these four different passages in the New Testament that address what spiritual gifts are. And for us this morning, as we look at what Paul says to his church at Corinth in the 12th chapter, there's just three things I want us to answer this morning. What are spiritual gifts? Why should I care about them? And how do I release them into my life? you got two ears on the side of your head today, and I want you to be using both of them. One of them to be listening to what God the Spirit says to you through His written Word. And I want you to tune an ear deep inside of you, if you get the courage. Because, my brothers and sisters, we get this one right. It can transform our lives forever. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. and Let's take a look at what is a spiritual gift. It's on page 933 in your pew Bible. 12th chapter, verses 1 through 3. A little context. Remember where Corinth is? Corinth is on the south part of Greece. It was a very important port city. The uh, temple of Aphrodite was there, one of the temples. There were up to uh, three to 4,000 temple prostitutes in the city. And if you went to the temple and had sex with one of these prostitutes, male or female, the idea was when the gods saw you having sex, they wanted to have sex. And when they did, your business became more prosperous and fertile. So it was really a bribery of the gods, not just sensual indulgence. It was a very important city. It was kind of like Vegas. And in the heart of the strip, Paul plants this church. And in this church... And I remind you, his closest friends were cross-racial. Paul was a Jew of Jews. And these are real pig-eating Gentiles, these Greeks here. And he writes to them, and this might be a shocker to you. In the first century, people in the church, there were actually church fights. 
Can you believe that? It's a good thing we've moved so far from that today. And they're trying to figure out what is my gift. Let's read verses 1 through 3 together out loud as he writes to them. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed and led astray to idols that could not speak. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, Let Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. What's he saying? Well, the the Greek mystery religions like the Oracle of Delphi and things that... Some people would come along and say, Well, the God just spoke to me and... God told me that Jesus is really not who he is. Curse Jesus. Well, Paul says, the Holy Spirit could never say that. And also, by the way, no one says Jesus is Lord. The very first creedal statement, except by the Spirit of God. Do you know why you and I in here believe that Christ is the Son of God? It's not because we're so smart or we're so holy. By God's grace, the Holy Spirit. You didn't put two and two together and it equals four. Jesus must be the Messiah, the Son of God. And a Jewish carpenter on a cross in the first century changes my eternity. You didn't come up with that on your own. I didn't either. But God, by His Spirit, revealed that to us. Then He goes along. Look at verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who activates all of them in everyone. Did you see that Trinitarian formula he's using there? The Spirit, Lord, Jesus, and God the Father. Verse 7. Let's read this together out loud, because this is the whole point of the sermon. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Bang, you've got it. Spiritual gifts are God-given abilities for two purposes. One, the common good. And two, the bearing of spiritual fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. You have a gift mix. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the different gifts. I don't think they're probably as watertight as we think they are in your whole life. I think the Holy Spirit may give you different giftings at different chapters in your life, but most of us are too afraid to let Him do that. But He has wired you, and your gifts aren't for you. They're for us. My gifts aren't for Brewer, the few that I have. They're for you. They're for the common good, not the exalting of any individual. And the purpose is to bear fruit. If you have all the gifts that God has... And you don't have love. Do you love more this January than you did a year ago? That's what all the last year was about. Do you have more peace? Do you have more joy? Do you have more patience, kindness, goodness, generosity, faithfulness, self-control? The Holy Spirit, He's obsessed about producing this in you. And you don't need to scream it out and struggle. Some people like Christianity is so hard. How many times do you see an apple tree going, come on, come on, give me an apple, give me an apple? <laughs> it doesn't. It just grows. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Moi, vine, you stay attached to me. And when you're attached to me, this fruit naturally takes place. If you have all the gifts and we don't have any fruit, Bel Air, If we're not growing in the fruit of the Spirit, we are a waste. A farmer out here may have all the best 
goods that John Deere has, have them all polished up, lined up, spent all his money. That's not helping with the harvest. That's a waste of money. And the Holy Spirit wants a return on his investment. He's wired each of us in that way to move there. Now, I think there are talents that aren't gifts. And you can't push this too far. A talent is when you're empowering it by your own. It becomes a gift the moment the giver gets a hold of it. You're going to, if you saw the, the great musicians that we have up here, you wouldn't just say, you might say they're talented, but if they just left the score and left the conductor or the worship leader and just started going off on their own and ruining for everybody, you wouldn't say, what a gifted musician. You'd say, what a pain in the neck. Today in the playoffs, you're going to see a lot of talented athletes. You wouldn't call them gifted if all they want to do is just grandstand and glory hog to the team's loss. You don't say, what a gifted athlete. You say, what a loser. God hasn't given you these things so you can just make more money and get more famous and have a nicer life. He has given these things to you so that he can use them. And the reason so few of us tap our potential is we haven't connected these dots yet. And when you start to say, Lord, I want to bless your people, it is frightening and wonderful what God can do. And so, you take a look here. The next thing that he says in verse 8, To one is given the spirit of utterance of wisdom, to another knowledge, another faith by the same spirit, another gifts of healing, one spirit, another the worker of miracles, prophecy, discernment of spirits, various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, All these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually as the Spirit chooses. In heaven, there is no spiritual gift exchange counter. God gives to you the gifts He thinks is best for His mission. And we might say, Lord, I don't like this gift. And the Lord says gently, tough. I am not talking about the future, God says. I am in the future already. I know I am lining this thing up, which is the best for what I'm trying to do to my glory and the blessing to you. I have wired you in this way. And the way you start finding out this gift, we're going to find out. How do you know what your gift is? Try something. And if you're not good at it, others will tell you. You can't fail at this. And you start moving to those areas, those hungers that you have. So the purpose is to bear fruit in that way. Now, what's interesting, if you'll notice here in verse, I might point out, we'll see in a little bit, that uh, you can divide up the gifts, and I don't think it's an exhaustive list, but kind of between serving gifts and equipping gifts and worship gifts. Some people think that the sign gifts, speaking in tongues or words of knowledge or healing, passed away. Some people think that everybody can speak in tongues. And I think both of those are are errors. I think you need to be open for the gift of tongues. I think you need to be able to say it. And good Reformed theology says that. That the spiritual gifts, as he wants. I don't think everybody speaks in tongues. Why do you say that? Because Paul said so. Okay, let's see. Turn with me over to verse 27 of the 12th chapter. Now you are the body of Christ and individually... Members in it. And that word melee in the Greek we're going to take a look at. God has appointed in the church first apostles and second prophets, third teachers, deeds of power, gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles implied no? 
Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. But you strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you an even more excellent way. So I think that, yes, that there is a gift of tongues, and we'll talk about this, but it's for the good of the body, never the individual. You don't get to choose whether you have it or not. You don't get to choose whether you have a gift of leadership, whether you have a gift of creating, whether you have a gift of generosity, whether you have a gift in areas that aren't mentioned here. You just simply can release that to the Lord. Now, why should I care about these gifts? Two reasons. One... It's the whole purpose of your life. And second of all, it's the very power for the mission that we have at Bel Air. When I say it's the purpose of your life, the purpose of your life, and I don't think you should hide away from the world in church land. Some people, they avoid the world that Christ died for, and he sent us to go out there and to get into the middle of it. Statistics will say if you join the average large church like Bel Air within two and a half years, 90% of your relationships will be at Bel Air. Well, the praise the Lord is you got great fellowship. You know what the bad news is? Where's the salt and light in the world? We want you out there in the marketplace, in the offices, in the schools, in the parties. Some of you need to back off some of those parties a little bit, but... <laughs> You need to be out there in the middle of it to be with them so they can see what love and what the hope of Christ is. That's why you need to care about these gifts. Carolyn, uh, my wife, I've told you before, she's an occupational uh, therapist. And she worked with institutional schizophrenics. I think she got field ed credit for marrying me. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but also, you know, OTs do a lot with amputations. I was reminded when I was just driving a truck after high school, we were backing a flat bag up into a, the fifth wheel. You know, fifth wheel's the thing in the back of the tractor that you hook the trailer to. And this uh, older guy's with me, and it snapped, and he went, ah! And he goes, get that. And I said, get what? And he said, my finger. Uh, he, seriously, you know, it was snapped off, cut off, just laying there. And I uh, went and got it, and uh, we, I can tell you, I didn't tell that we kind of misplaced it. Um, but so then we found it after a while. We put it in. We got him to the doctor, but this was back in 72, before a lot of the microsurgery hadn't frozen. And they sewed it on, but after a week, they had to go back in and surgically remove it, even though it was working, because of the infection was starting to spread up his hand. There are some of us, we have been so long living our Christian life on our own, we're in great danger of spiritually dying, and we don't even know it. I think you can only be a part, this is just my opinion, so treat it like gospel. I only think that you can be apart from the body so long and you do such permanent damage, you never will in this journey of life connect back in. It is so important that you get plugged in. And whether it's Bel Air or not, I don't care, somewhere where they're preaching Christ, there's a lot of great churches around here doing that, and say, I want to try in these areas. You are the word melee. Mu, Epsilon, Lambda, Eta, in the Greek, like M-E-L-E-I, which we call member. It got hijacked by the world, like I'm a member of a club or a member of a political party or a member of a set. The word is closer to organ. You are literally living tissue for the body of Christ spiritually. And an organ doesn't do well on its own. If you went out here to get a cup of coffee afterwards and you saw a set of lungs laying out there, 
You go, well, that's disgusting. I think it's very close to the feeling that the risen Lord, the head, feels when he sees all these dismembered parts of his body not connecting and coming together. I'm not talking about an institution. I'm not talking about an organization. I mean the mystical body of Christ. And that's why as we start to come together and why we're going down to St. Sophia's to the Orthodox Cathedral and sharing, that's why we had Faithful Central and African American Fellowship come here. That's why we're connecting with these other churches. Because that's the power of this mission. We simply want to transform Los Angeles by God's grace to the greatest city for Christ in America. We don't care what God does in Orange County. We don't care what God does at Santa Barbara. The Lord bless them. Our mission is L.A. and this side of it, and it's going to take the whole church to reach the whole city. And that means we need to get it together at home first. And as we start to step across denominational lines, that's uncomfortable for a lot of people. I had a Methodist friend of mine, he, I think he was kidding me, he, he was going to do a funeral for a Presbyterian and he called up his bishop and said, can I bury a Presbyterian? And he said, the bishop said, bury every Presbyterian you can. <laughs> I don't think that's true, but as we work together and what God has called us together, it is this mission that we have. And this is what we're about. My call this next year. George's job and Roger's job and my job is not to do the ministry. We're assembling a national caliber team here to equip you. We're here to equip you because that's where the blast is. That's where the real juice is for you in being with the Holy Spirit. And as we do that, my call is to get 100% spiritual employment in this place. Everybody doing something. You don't need to do everything. But you know the old 80-20 rule? In churches, it's not true. It's like 90-10. 10% of the people do 90% of the work. And we don't want to just take your gifts and get you in an ungifted area. That's the worst thing to do to somebody because you bore them and you disgust them. And then they go, I tried it. It didn't work. There might be whole new things that the Holy Spirit is bubbling up in you that we need to connect you into to be doing. But you've got to be doing something. The Lord calls us to come and to be able to yield to him this. My dad died of a ruptured aorta in his heart. But you know what his problem was? In World War II, he's in the submarine service, and he had a torpedo fall across him and destroyed one of his kidneys and half of the other. Because his renal system underfunctioned, his circulatory system the rest of his life overfunctioned. And in the church, to get a healthy body, everybody, no over or under functioners. We find out what our place is. And that's when the Holy Spirit really starts to blow. That's why we're assembling these things like tonight with Ralph Winter and coming up, looking at the passion for the entertainment. We're getting together some dialogue groups coming up with some of the leaders in the marketplace. We're going to start doing some racial dialogue with people just coming in and talking. That's what we're getting the, the end of the month, some of the physicists around here to talk about the new 10-dimension membrane theory that is out there and how's that applied to the Bible. Question, what are Christians in L.A. going to do if there is life on Mars? Question, what is theology going to say to that? And it, what if there's not? How do you answer those kind of things? You are, there is so much talent in here. I just want it to be giftedness. I want it to be Holy Spirit yielded. 
There's enough giftedness in this room to transform this church to the next level. I mean that. In this room alone. There's enough giftedness in this room to transform this side of Los Angeles. If we would just yield and open up to it. And that's what's going to be the great thrill about this. Paganini, the great violinist, he had a healthy self-concept. And uh, when he retired, he took his violin that was actually about close to 100 years old when he played it. And he gave it to Genoa, the city of his birth. And he said, nobody should ever play that again. And this violin that was very old and that he astounded Europe and the world with his talent. If you saw it 50 years later, it was a broken, dried up relic. And it had been played for a century. Well, what they discovered was the wood on this violin needed the oil from your hands. And the way it was designed, it needed that strength of the strings wound against it to keep it together. As soon as he hung it up, it became worthless. And there's some of us that we either think we're too young or we're too old or not smart enough or not the right gift mix. And we're just hanging there and God the master wants to take it and use this. If the Lord, you know those weird dreams you have inside of you that you're embarrassed to share, and when you share it with others, they get that glazed look on their eye? And like, oh, yeah. The Holy Spirit knows those. And I wonder how many of those dreams are planted by Him. If God were to take off those chains and open the door, would you let Him? If the Holy Spirit said, I want to use you to heal somebody, you, I want to use you to speak into somebody's life. I want to use you to help lead. You're a leader and you haven't been leading anything. I want to use you to serve in a way that nobody's thought of yet and to let me get all the glory and the credit. When you say, yes, Lord, and who he'll bring into your life. A few weeks ago at the six o'clock service, I was speaking, I was sharing, and after the 9 o'clock service, one of our acute older members told me that he jumped against Jesse Owens in 1935. Jesse Owens in the 1936 Olympics, remember, were held in Nazi Germany, and Hitler boasted that he was going to show the Aryan superiority. Owens jumped 26 feet 8 inches in 1935. A record that would stand for 25 years. But when he came to Berlin for the Olympics, he was so intimidated with all the Nazis there. Here's the son of a black sharecropper. And as he was jumping and he was scratching, there was a tall man standing over there, a huge hulk of a man, great-looking, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Aryan by the name of Lutz Long. And as he was watching Owens jump, hear this son of a black sharecropper and hear this white model of Nazi manhood stood and looked at each other and he said, in very good English, he said, Mr. Owens, you could jump this with your eyes closed. Move the mark back four inches and you'll make it just fine to qualify. Well, Owens did and he not only qualified, he got second of his four gold medals. And when he won the gold medal in front of Adolf Hitler, And all the stands of the German generals. The very first person to walk over to Jesse Owens and congratulate him was Lutz Long. 
He shook his hand. He said, great job. Lutz Long was assigned shortly after that to the front lines, and he died fighting for his native Germany. Later, and in a book, David Walensky, The Complete Book of the Olympics, wrote this quote from Jesse Owens looking back on his life. Owens wrote, quote, You could melt down all the medals and cups I have, and they wouldn't be plating on the 24-carat friendship I felt for Lutz Long. Unquote. There are people out there that are waiting for a friend like you. And there are friends out there you haven't met yet that they're going to help you set your personal best. All it takes is getting out of the stands and getting down on the field. Come on, Bel Air. This is 2004. I dare you to outdream me. I always say that. I think we're going to take our scandalous dreams and these wild, insane hopes. We're going to bring them before the Lord and the Lord will say, not bad for a beginning. (laughs) But Paul says this, if I speak in the tongue of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong and an irritating symbol. If I have prophetic powers to understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have faith to remove mountains and have no love, I gain nothing. If I give away all that I have to the poor, and I even deliver my body to be burned and do so without love, I'm nothing. Love is patient. It's kind. Love is never jealous or boastful. It's never arrogant or rude. Love doesn't insist on its own way, and it keeps no record of wrongs done against it. Love does not rejoice at the wrong, but rejoices at the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. As for knowledge, it will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for prophecies, they will come to an end. For our knowledge is imperfect and our prophecy is imperfect. But when the perfect comes, the imperfect will pass away. When I was a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I spoke like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish thoughts. Now we see into a mirror dimly. Then we will see face to face. Now we know in part. Then we shall know fully, even as we have been fully known. So these three abide. Faith and hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. Amen? Let's pray, shall we? God, that you would call us to a place to serve you and that you have sealed us by your Holy Spirit, that you've already prepared good works, Lord. You have answers to prayers in the pipeline that we haven't even whispered yet. Lord, you have creative things you want to do, and I believe as we approach the return of your Son that you're looking for women and men that are willing to take you at your word. So, oh, Holy Spirit, don't just seal us, but fill us. We let go of ourselves and ask you to come and take over. Lord, help us to get out of this cotton candy theology of living for ourselves and teach us the real adventure of serving you. And Lord, as we come before you this morning with our tithes and our offerings, I pray that you would take these as simply a token of what you've given to us. Lord, as we start 2004, there are people that slept on the street last night, 10,000 of them in our city. There are people that went to bed with children hungry, and we throw away food. 
Lord, show us how to minister and help to them that they may find the joy of Jesus. Bless the gift and the giver alike. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen.